in just about every area of life, there's big time and small time. And even though big time overshadows small time in just about every way, I think you would probably agree with me that we still need small time. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. There is Major League Baseball and Little League Baseball. Major League Baseball, obviously, that's big time. Little League Baseball is small time. But I think you would agree that we still need Little League Baseball. It's, there's value in having kids uh, learn to play together and develop their physical skills and learn how to take instruction from a coach. Or what about the theater? There's Broadway and then there's the little kids' Christmas program that they put on at church. Broadway overshadows just about every other kind of theater there is. But I think you would agree with me that we still need those little kids' Christmas programs and Easter pageants that are put on at church or at school. What about medicine? There's the big city research hospital, and then there's the small town doctor's office. The big city research hospital is far more capable than the small town doctor's office, but I think you would agree that we still need the small town doctor's office. And you can do this in just about every area of life. There's big time and there's small time. And even though big time overshadows small time in almost every way, we still need small time. So let's think about grace. Even when it comes to grace, there's big time and there's small time. There's God's grace and there's people grace. Now, God's grace is big time. Oh, is it big. It's big enough to cover the worst sins you've ever committed. In fact, God's grace is so big that it can cover all of the worst sins everybody who's ever lived has ever committed. God's grace is powerful enough to reach down and snatch the most depraved soul out of the fires of hell. People grace, and by that I mean the grace that we show to each other, uh, it's small time by comparison. People grace cannot do what God's grace can do, not by a long shot. But I think you would agree that we still need people grace. We still need to show grace to each other be kind and thoughtful to each other. I hit this topic last week, and I'm hitting it again this week because I just think this is an area where the church needs to do better. Statistics show that churches are having trouble growing nowadays. A, a lot of uh, younger people are losing interest in the church. And I just think this is one area where we have an opportunity to connect with people. Because as I said last week, people are starved for grace. They need God's grace. They need big-time grace. But they also need people grace. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about people grace. To begin, I want to share with you one of the best examples of people grace that we have in the Bible. The story is found deep in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel at a time when life was very different from what it is now. Uh, for example, uh, I know we think politics is a dirty business in America. Uh, we all believe that, and, and it certainly is. But I want you to know that politics in America today is a Sunday school picnic 
compared to politics in the Old Testament, in uh, the time of Samuel. In those days, nations were governed by kings. And when there was a change of administrations, when a new king came into power, it was customary. Are you ready for this? It was customary when a new king came into power to kill the old king, if he was still living, and his entire family to execute them. Now you say, well, why did they do that? Well, the reason was to ensure that somebody from the old administration or the king's family who was angry and bitter wouldn't try to undermine or sabotage the new administration. Now imagine today if we killed all of our presidents and their families when they left office. Don't you think it might be kind of hard to find somebody who wanted to run for president? I mean, the last couple of cycles, we've had like 20 people want to run for president. I'm not sure we'd have that many if they all knew, if they were elected, they and their families would be killed when they left office. Well, our story begins after King Saul of Israel and his son Jonathan died. Now, that made David the king. It also made Saul's family very afraid. They assumed that David would round them all up and kill them. Now, David wasn't going to do that. He wasn't that kind of person. But they assumed that he would. And that explains what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. And again, the reason the nurse is picking up the child and hurrying away is because she had heard that a new administration had come into power and she thought the child, as the grandson of the king, would be in mortal danger. And it was in this rush to get away that she apparently tripped or stumbled or something. She dropped the child and he was injured and crippled. Now... A child suffering the very same injury today, and we don't know exactly what the injury was, but whatever it was. A child suffering the very same injury today probably be no problem. Just go to the doctor. They would fix that child up with our medical technology, and he would be as good as new. But in those days, it was different. If you had a broken limb or a torn Achilles or something like that, they didn't know how to fix it, and so you were stuck living with that the rest of your life. Now, I want you to freeze that picture in your mind, and now we're going to jump forward in time, 15 to 20 years, to the ninth chapter of 2 Samuel. Mephibosheth is now a young man, a young adult, living out his days with this severe disability. David has now been the king for... Uh, over a decade, he's doing very well. He's built up the army. He's expanded the borders of the territory. He's, uh, he's won the respect of many of the neighboring nations and kings. In fact, things are going so well for David that he feels just overwhelmed 
with God's goodness and God's grace. He's so grateful to God that he feels compelled to do something extra special as a way of showing or demonstrating his gratitude. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. As David is reflecting on this desire to do something good for somebody, he says, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Now that's a very surprising question. Remember, this was a time when the king's family would be hunted down and killed. And yet that's not what's on David's mind. And that gives us some insight into the kind of person David was. I mean, it helps you understand why he is so revered in Scripture. It helps you understand why he was um, thought of as the man after God's own heart. David wasn't like other people. At a time when vengeance and retribution would have been on most people's minds, David had a heart full of grace. And so to make a long story short, David found Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, living in a place called Lodibar. He sent for him, and when Mephibosheth was brought to him, this is what David said to him. Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, that's some pretty good people grace right there. So what I want to do right now is stop and talk about three ways people grace is like God's grace. Now, it's not as big as God's grace. God's grace is big time. People grace is small time. So now I'm not saying that people grace is as big or as powerful or as awesome as God's grace, but people grace is pretty cool. And I want to show you three ways people grace is like God's grace. First of all, people grace, like God's grace, reaches down. In week one of this series, and again last week, I quoted Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Bible scholar. I love this quote. He said, love that reaches up is worship. Love that reaches out is affection. And love that reaches down is grace. God reached down to the human race when he sent his son Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And we see David reaching down to Mephibosheth. Keep in mind, David is king. He's one of the most powerful men in the world. His exploits as a soldier are legendary. He's the kind of man that people are in awe of. When he comes around, people bow and scrape. They're just in awe of David. But unlike a lot of people who have a lot of power, David wasn't wrapped up in himself. He had a heart for others, and especially for people um, who lived on the lower end of society. Notice again the question he asked in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. He said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Now the key word in that question is the word anyone. Because think about what David could have said. He could have said, is there someone out there who is deserving of my kindness? 
Is there someone out there whose accomplishments deserve to be recognized? Is there someone out there who's really special and talented and would make a good addition to my staff? He could have asked those questions, but he didn't. He said, is there anyone out there of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? The word anyone, without any qualifiers attached to it, indicates that David was willing to reach all the way down to the peasant class to find someone to help. And it was as a member of the peasant class that Mephibosheth was living. In fact, remember a moment ago I told you the Bible says that he was living in a place called Lodibar? That sounds like a protein bar you buy at the grocery store. I mean, it's not. Let me tell you what that word means. That word means barren. It's a word that would refer to a wilderness or a wasteland. Mephibosheth was living in a wasteland. Why? Because it was a good place to hide. Remember, according to the customs of the time, Mephibosheth should have a price on his head. He was the grandson of the former king, and, the, and that was customary to round people like him up and kill them. So he was living in a wasteland. He was living in a desolate place, trying to fly under the radar, hoping no one would find him. So let's put it all together. Mephibosheth was a peasant. He was um, crippled, had a disability, so he couldn't work. He lived in a wasteland, and... He was lucky to be alive. Under normal circumstances, he would have a price on his head. Listen, that's about as far down on the social ladder as you can get. But David, from his lofty perch on the throne, reached all the way down to touch Mephibosheth's life in a beautiful way. People grace, like God's grace, reaches down. And it's good to give grace to people who are like you. It's good. But it's wonderful to give grace to people who are not like you. Who, according to the world's standards, would be beneath you. Secondly, people grace, like God's grace, gives its best. When God decided it was time to send a messenger of grace into this world... Um, he didn't send an angel. He didn't send a committee of angels. He sent his son, his only begotten son. God gave us his very best. And David gave his best to Mephibosheth. You remember what he said to Mephibosheth when he first met him? He said, I'm going to give you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, and I'm going to let you eat your meals here at the palace with me at my table. Now, there are a lot of things David could have said to him, lesser things that still would have been um, a blessing to Mephibosheth. If David had just said, hey, I'm going to have you come over for the weekend and we'll, we'll sit down and eat together. We'll get to know one another. I mean, that would have been an incredible blessing for a guy like Mephibosheth. But that's not what he said. He gave Mephibosheth a blessing that was just unbelievable, that, that, that Mephibosheth wouldn't have been able to even dream of. 
He moved him to Jerusalem. He lined him up with servants to do his bidding, and he allowed him to eat at the royal table, not just one meal, but every meal if he wanted. There wasn't a peasant alive that would have even been able to fathom such a wonderful blessing. It's kind of like um, the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. You've seen that commercial. You know, they always show the, the camera crew shows up, and they're carrying this great big old check, and it's for millions and millions of dollars, and they ring the doorbell, and the people come to the door, and they go crazy. And you're watching that commercial, and I'm watching that commercial, and we're all thinking the same thing. We're all thinking, wow, that would be awesome. But not for one instant do you think it's ever going to happen to you. And that's the kind of blessing that David gave to Mephibosheth. Some blessings are just so amazing. You can't, you can't imagine them. So he gave Mephibosheth his best. And that's what people grace does. It gives its best. Thirdly, people grace like God's grace keeps on giving. God sent his son into the world to be a channel through which grace could flow into the hearts of men, and 2,000 years later, that grace is still flowing. People today are still encountering Jesus and experiencing God's life-changing grace and power, just like they did two millenniums ago. And likewise, the grace David gave to Mephibosheth was ongoing. Again, he didn't just invite him over for the weekend. He said, you can eat at my table every day if you want to. I think this is the point at which people grace can get hard. This idea of continuing to give. Because let's face it, it's much easier to give a gift when you know it's a one-time thing. And once you give it, you can just forget about it and not worry about it anymore. For example, giving a one-time financial gift uh, to a missionary project is a lot easier than giving to missions every single week. Helping to serve food at a soup kitchen, you know, one day a year on Thanksgiving is a lot easier than volunteering at that soup kitchen week after week after week. Forgiving someone who has really hurt you is a lot easier. If you can do it and you know you're never going to have to see that person again, it's a lot harder when you see that person at work every day and the issue comes up again and again and again. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with what we could call occasional or one-time expressions of grace, if that's what the situation calls for, then fine. I'm just saying that grace is a lot easier to give when you know it's just a one-time deal. Consistent grace, steady grace, ongoing grace, that's what's hard. But that's the kind of grace God gave. And that's what our people grace should look like. This morning, I want to challenge you to ask yourself the same question David asked himself. Is there anyone to whom I could show kindness? 
Is there a Mephibosheth in my life? Someone I know who really needs some people grace. Now, I'm guessing that there is such a person in your life. And I would also guess that that person may be a lot closer to you than you might think. Your Mephibosheth might be sitting next to you right now. It might be somebody who's going to be riding home in the car with you after this service. It might be somebody you'll see in the morning when you get to work. Walk in the door, there's your Mephibosheth right there. Now, how do you recognize your Mephibosheth? Well, do you remember I said uh, a moment ago that Mephibosheth was living in Lodibar, living in a wasteland? What you need to do if you want to find your Mephibosheth is look at the spiritual wastelands around you. For example, uh, look for somebody who's going through a painful divorce. Look for somebody who's fighting an illness. Look for somebody who's recovering from a difficult surgery. Look for somebody who's maybe unemployed and having financial problems. Look, at, look for somebody who's bereaved. Look for somebody who's lonely. Look for somebody who's trying to overcome some, maybe some bad choices that they've made in the past. And then ask yourself, what could I do to help this person? Now, the problem is, for all of us, that we know people grace is small time. God's grace is big time. People grace is small time. And because we know that people grace is small time, we kind of have a tendency to write it off as not being all that important. It's like, oh, I don't have that much I could do for somebody. I, I might as well not even bother. Listen, people who are thirsty are thankful even for a small cup of water. So even though people grace is small time, don't underestimate its power. This is your homework assignment for the week. You hate homework, right? We all hate homework. But I'm giving you a homework assignment for this week. Find your Mephibosheth. There is a Mephibosheth in your life somewhere. Somebody who needs a touch of people grace. Find that person this week. And then show them some grace. Let's stand.